Hi, everybody. Mike and Andy here, or um, if you want to like put us together, we're Mandy. And um, <laughs> the episode 41 being recorded right now, world headquarters of Vox in Abrea, California. And um, Andy is, uh, we're celebrating the, the, the episode number of Andy's age. <laughs> so we're very excited about that. Um, and, and Andy, you know, there's been a bit of a, um, a bit of a political focus lately. And we need to we need to get the heck out of that, Andy. I thought we'd keep going. Oh Lord, have mercy! I think we're all done. So, um, so we haven't answered uh, questions. We've got. I, I mean, I just have this huge stack of questions, and uh, we've got one that uh, I think is really, really good. So, uh, this gentleman um, emailed me. I don't know how many weeks ago, and I just thought, wow. Instead of you know, it would require. So, I mean, it would require half a book. To respond to the excellent <laughs> questions he was asking. I so thought, we're going to do half a book on a podcast. Yes, right now, an audio. So this will be an audio book. Um, uh, but uh, there were such great questions, and he was taking issue with some things that, that I had said, but I'm going to include we here because you were in the room. Yeah, guilty by um, association. That's right. Uh, in, uh, in an episode called, Is Jesus Pro-Gay? Was Jesus Pro-Gay? I actually had to go back and listen to it because I, I didn't even remember what we'd said. So... Um, so anyway, this uh, this uh, young man gave us permission to read his email, and um, and he said, "Listen, I know it sounds he didn't he he just said hey, I'm not I'm a fan, so you know don't please hear it in that sort of respect." And and we do completely. Uh, we're gonna call him Jeremy because uh, Jennifer was our questioner uh, general name generic name mm-hmm. for uh, for the gals. This is Jeremy, and it's a Pearl Jam song, so. Yeah. It was better than even flow. I didn't want to keep calling him even flow. <laughs> um, and uh, so he his his name is Jeremy uh, for our intents and purposes. And Jeremy, thank you for giving us permission to engage and, and realizing that both. So we're going to read from an email and then talk in conversational language, and and that's an unfair dialogue, right? That's not really a dialogue. And so we totally understand that. But we thought the issues you were raising were significant enough. Um, to, to respond to. And so here's my big point uh, that, that um, I want to I wanna engage with you a little bit. I, I do think, uh, Jeremy, that it is possible t- um, to be non-affirming and to be loving and merciful and just and compassionate um, in uh, the treatment of the LGBTQ community. I think it is possible to create a, a Christian space where affirming Christians and non-affirming Christians can be united by something bigger than their take on this particular issue, mm-hmm. and and so what I what I'm, I, I'm I'm going to try as I was really thinking about your email and your questions, I'm going to try to maintain that. But the problem, of course, is that um, even speaking into some of the issues you raise could possibly be perceived as invalidating your felt experience. And that's the last thing I want to do uh, because of how horrible some of your experience has been. So this is not a clinical thing. I'd much rather do this over Coors Light, although uh, I think you're too young for that. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, please please hear um, our genuine thank, thank you for uh, your courage in, in speaking out and in asking these things. So, yep. He said, hey, uh, I started listening to your podcast because of your interview with Science Mike. All right, so stop right there. Um, if you're going to refer to him as Science Mike, uh, 
then you don't get to call me hey. You <laughs> you have to call me Seismic Mike. All right, just mm-hmm. it's it's just a mutual respect thing. All Dear right, so Jeremy, Mike. that's it. Start there. So I'm going to rework it. Dear Seismic Mike, who is way cooler than Science Mike, um, I started listening to your podcast because of the less cool Science Mike, and. <laughs> It's pretty interesting. <laughs> I took issue with some of the things in your episode called Was Jesus Pro-Gay? I'm a 20-year-old Christian, hence no Coors Light. Uh, I'm gay. My mom found out, and she told me that if I didn't do what God wanted, uh, that she would pray for my death, which is, I. Uh, and then my dad called me a queer, tried to punch me. Fortunately, I'm in shape. He is not, so nothing bad happened except my heart broke because my dad was so angered that he tried to hurt me. Uh, which he has never done, and and Jeremy, before we even go any further, um, I am I, I I am there's nothing in my experience that can relate to what that was like, and I am so terribly terribly sorry that in the name of God your parents reacted the way that they did, and I don't know you know, obviously why I don't know what's sitting behind that I just know I I, I cannot imagine. Um, having my dad uh, threaten and try physical violence and having my mom pray for my death in, in, in the name of God. I mean, I just, I cannot imagine it. And so I'm so very sorry. Jesus hates that. Jesus is angry at that. There, there just, it doesn't even come close to what he was like. So I'm I'm so sorry, and my sorry means nothing. I get it, but I can't even read the rest of your letter without stopping and saying, "Oh my gosh, Jeremy, that that is that is just horrific." And man, if there were if there were a way that um, that we could replace those voices, you know, we'd we'd be thrilled to be able to replace those voices because those voices aren't of God, and those voices certainly aren't of Jesus. So I'm sorry, my friend. I'm sorry. Um, and you continue on in your letter. As far as I'm concerned, non-affirming beliefs only contribute to this kind of thing. Well, of course. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> of course. I, I totally get why you would think that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yes, uh, because here they are. They're they're believing something, and it 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 turns them into hateful, violent, um, awful people. So, of course, of course. Uh, non-affirming beliefs contribute to this thing. I just want to open us up to the possibility that you can be non-affirming and and love and serve and bless and um, and so. But again, I, I don't I don't want to invalidate how awful your felt experience has been. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, oh my goodness, man, um, it's possible to hold the non-affirming view and not be an ass. It, it is. I I I I know people who who are incredible um, agents uh, for justice and compassion and non-discrimination for the LGBTQ community who hold the non-affirming view. And so uh, I want to just open us up to that to that possibility, even though obviously you've never experienced it, or at least in that context, you haven't experienced it. Um, uh, you say, I do not believe that someone who has fully absorbed the indignity and pain that queer Christians experience and think that non-affirming beliefs are compatible with justice and mercy. So what I hear you saying is, listen, if you if you knew what this was like, there's no way you could hold that view because of what it does. And, and I would say I that that may be true, but I also think there's a difference between holding a view and how you hold that view. Mm-hmm. 
In other words, I may think that, um, you know, drugs are wrong, but because my brother is a drug addict, I, which he's not, I may, you know, I, I don't see him as a drug addict. I see him as my brother and I'm, I'm fully invested in loving, serving, blessing his life. Uh, and that my, my view on drugs does not in any way inhibit the love that I have for my brother. Mm-hmm. And, and I see in Jesus the, this beautiful thing where he's clearly, he's clearly dealing with people uh, who were fallen and sinful. So the woman caught in the very act of adultery. Adultery was one of the most heinous sins in, um, in first century Judaism. Or, or the woman that had five husbands and was now living with a sixth guy. And, and what Jesus does there, there's no question he, he would not have blessed all of that. I mean, as a first century Jewish man and even his teaching on marriage, there's no way he would have blessed that. And yet what he does is he doesn't see a woman caught in adultery and he doesn't see a woman who had five husbands who was shacking up. He sees people, he sees hearts, he sees thirst. And, and he, he doesn't see sinners, he sees thirsty people. Mm-hmm. And he's able to bring grace and redemption and forgiveness and to front load those things so that these people are scandalized by how gracious Jesus was to just notorious sinners. And he does that to everybody, male, female, tax collectors, prostitutes, doesn't matter. Um, he's doing it. And, and that's what made him so scandalous. So if Jesus, if Jesus was able to do this, to love, bless, rescue, forgive, redeem people that he um, that he would have held as being in less than God's ideal. It's got to be possible for Jesus' followers to do the same thing. That's that is a huge. Mm-hmm. That's a that's something huge. I wanna I wanna fight for in this whole conversation. Um, then you say, I also think that the way you articulated affirming arguments was really really bad. Please don't take offense. I don't take offense. Uh, because you are asking wonderful questions in a very kind way. I mean, no personal attacks. You made no judgment on me. I mean, so thank you. I mean, I love engaging this kind of things. And and I'm so open to being wrong uh, because it, I'm wrong a lot, <laughs> according to my sweet wife. Now, mm-hmm. um, so so I had to go back and listen to the episode because what I was saying I, I, in that episode was, listen, if Jesus were coming, uh, he would speak truth and grace to both sides of this issue. He would speak truth and grace to the affirming side. He'd be speak truth and grace to the non-affirming side. And, and one of the things he might call out in the affirming side, and this is where you're reacting rightly, um, was the idea that we live in a culture that worships sex and sexual fulfillment. Now, I said, but it was quick, and I didn't do a good job reinforcing this point, that that was true of all sides. But mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd made the point in listing the uh, on the affirming side and so you rightly said uh i do not believe that lgbtq um affirming christians believe what they do because they worship sex or sexual fulfillment you're absolutely right and and if that was the implication of how i said what i said then i i'm i'm wrong i wasn't making that judgment the judgment i was making was that i think jesus would call out the 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 rampant on every side of the issue um uh, the the rampant belief that anything that inhibits sexual expression is by definition wrong, mm-hmm. unless it's consent or harm of another. Right. Right. In our world, any whatever floats your boat, whatever turns you on, whatever whatever is is automatically a good thing, um, if it's true to you, 
unless unless there's no consent or unless it harms another. So those are two good boundaries. I was trying to open up the possibility that Jesus would say there are other bound, sexuality is bounded by other things too. And that that's not harmful, even though in our world, um, sexual fulfillment is an end of itself. In, in in the biblical view, sex is a signpost to something bigger. It's a it's a pointer to another reality. And one of the ways we idolize sex is we make it an end in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And and I wasn't saying that you were doing that, um, certainly. And I wasn't meaning to say that this was only something that happened on the affirming side. That's a really bad argument. So I get why you pointed out. I was just trying to say in general, and I said this very poorly, in general, I think Jesus would speak that truth into our culture mm-hmm. uh, on every side of every issue. Mm-hmm. So heterosexual, I mean, the, the, I mean, what Jesus had to say about heterosexuality is just as crazy um, in terms of divorce, remarriage, lust, being uh, equivalent to adultery morally. Um, uh, uh, the the in a world where you could divorce somebody for any and every reason, you know, Jesus holds up this creational view of what God intended. I mean, it was crazy, crazy, radical stuff that Jesus was saying, and 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 it was so radical the disciples even said, "Well, then it's better not to be married at all." Right. That's how crazy some of the stuff he was saying. Right. So all that is to say, yes, as as I I don't hear affirming people making that argument, and I was not intending that to be a critique of uh, an affirming argument that I'd heard. I've never heard that. I'm just saying Jesus would speak into the sexual craziness of our age by saying sex is a signpost. It's not the end right. uh, of itself. Right. So uh, then he says, um, if there are those folks out there, I've never heard of them. He says, I've heard of folks though, and he's on to a different point, who will give the, well, Jesus never said anything about being gay. So obviously he didn't take issue argument. Uh, but that does not represent the more scholarly side of affirming argumentation. And absolutely right, I was not interacting in any way, shape, or form in that podcast with the scholarly side uh, of of uh, the affirming view. I've read uh, a ton of the affirming uh, scholars. And, uh, and uh, so, yes, I was not in any way, shape, or form engaging. I was just trying to engage in the more popular sort of podcasty style of argument, you know, that you see on Facebook or on Twitter or something. So, correct. I was not interacting with the scholarly side of the affirming arguments. Absolutely true. Um, I think, however, there is something to be said about empathy. Empathy is the weapon I do not think non-affirming beliefs can survive. Some non-affirmed empathize more than others. But I struggle to believe that they have fully put themselves in our shoes. And I think that's true. I think as a, I'm a white, a male, a heterosexual. And there is no way I can fully empathize with what it is to be 20, what it is to be gay, what it is to be a Christian, what it is to have been treated the way that you've been treated. So I, I can't even pretend that I can empathize. Mm-hmm. Now, I can, I can find empathy in... Um, uh, in the marginalization I've seen um, about the way people have treated my son with Down syndrome and the hate that's come his way, mm-hmm. I can find um, empathy in um, the the small marginalizations maybe that I've that I've experienced, although they've been tiny compared to what you've experienced, and, and I can find empathy um, in the um, oh dang there was one more place I could find empathy. Um, Oh, in my own sexual struggles, my own sexual brokenness, my struggles with um, with porn and lust and uh, the desires that at times seem just ap- absolutely out of control, and uh, and so all that is to say is you're absolutely right. I, empathy, like the more people that you know 
who are same-sex attracted, uh, the more empathy you're going to have because you hear the horror of some of these stories and you're just mm-hmm. absolutely right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I do think, I just, again, I just want to say, man, I think it's possible for people who hold the non-affirming view to actually love you and be for you and be committed to you. Mm-hmm. And I want to keep holding that, that possibility. Um, and so, so uh, you, you go on and um, you say, uh, love what you said about uh, our identity being in Christ. I don't know many gay Christians who would think that their gay orientation is before their identity in Christ. And I don't know about that. I, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've come across in, in my, I, I've, for the last 20 years, have had, um, I don't know, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 conversations with different individuals at different points in the journey. And, um, and I don't know that it's true that identity in Jesus is always before uh, identity as an L, a G, a B, a T, a Q. I don't know that that's always true. Mm-hmm. Uh, or express. I, or mean, express. Yeah. And I don't even know it's true if it's true on the non-affirming side. I mean, the test for anybody who's a follower of Jesus, one of the ways you can de- determine what's prior than something else is, listen, if Jesus called you to give up the thing that's closest to you, would you? Mm-hmm. You know, so if Jesus, and I'm not saying he is, but if he called you as a 20-year-old a gay man, if he called you to a life of celibacy, if he did, I'm not saying he is, if he did, would you? If he called me to uh, live in a, a marriage where um, my wife couldn't uh, couldn't any longer have sex, she was paralyzed, she was in an accident, you know, would I? If he called me to give up my middle-class lifestyle, would I? If he called me to... Um, uh, you know, any number of massively hard things, would I do that? So, so on the one hand, yes, I, I, I totally get, because you even say, you say, I, I don't know many gay people, gay Christians who think their gay irritation is before the identity in Jesus. You say it was my identity in Christ that led me to the place where I was not afraid to question what I'd been taught. Mm-hmm. Um, you use the example of ethnicity. He's still writing, uh, Jew and Gentile and how it didn't matter in the new covenant. Um, and this is from Galatians. In Jesus, there's no Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, uh, Jew or Greek. And I say, great. So there's no gay and straight in Christ. Therefore, I should be treated not as a sick child to be pitied for the awesome way I'm wired to experience attraction and love. Uh, to which I would say, if a non-affirming person would ever treat you as a sick child to be pitied, they're, they're, not, even, they're, they're not even in the ballpark of Jesus. Right. So, so because... the. the Jesus was really clear about the two biggest commands, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was really clear on this. Love God and is an expression of love God, love neighbor. And who's your neighbor? Well, it's even your enemy. So everybody turns out to be your neighbor. So so to, 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 to say that the non-affirming view is going to lead people, well, I, no question it does, but it shouldn't lead right. people to see you this way. Because the non-affirming view, if it's articulated correctly, simply says this. We all are bent and broken, all of us. So there's no one, no one gets to judge someone's bent and brokenness as being worse than my bent and brokenness. It is a universal flat playing field Mm -hmm. that, that the coming of Jesus into the world universalizes us in two ways. First, in our brokenness and in our darkness. But second, in the fact that our rescue is now given without precondition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and only is re- is received as a gift. Sure. And 
I would even, I mean, for me, it even seems like it's also seeing even in our beautiful differences, you know, which, which would mean skin color, hair color, eye color, right. you know, size, weight. Like, I mean, that's well, careful. <laughs> you didn't have to go there, Andy. Well, I mean, would he, if Jesus called me to give up ice cream, would I? That's right. I don't know. That'd be a struggle. But my point is, and I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Um, when we talk about identity, um, I, I just I want you to know, um, Jeremy, that I'm so sorry because because what we've done, and you're you're beginning to point out this beautiful double standard that is not beautiful at all. It's absolutely ridiculous that um, that somehow we've elevated the non-affirming side has elevated homosexual sin above all the other sins that they commit, <laughs> and and um, and and so that. Um, you would say you're judged in ways that that no one else is judged according to your sin. So you even you even say this. Um, you, so I'm I'm now quoting from you again, and we'll come back to this precise point because you say about me. You said, Mike, heterosexuality is just as sinful as homosexuality. But as a non-affirming Christian, I don't think you can actually say that. It certainly doesn't look like that in practice. That's true. And that's mm-hmm. this is the double standard. Yeah. If you go to church as a straight man, no one would care. No one would ask you invasive questions like, are you a practicing heterosexual? The way that people will ask, are you a practicing homosexual? Whatever the F that means. No one would ask if a woman molested you as a child, which is upsetting question, but especially to those of us who've been sexually assaulted. Yep, no one's going to ask that. If you announced you were getting married, everyone would celebrate and you wouldn't be excommunicated. For the gay person who is non-affirming, what she must believe is that sexual orientation leads to nothing good. And there are some Christian um, non-affirming people who are gay who say that. Mm-hmm. They, they choose to live in celibacy and so on. So, so what, I hear, what I hear you saying so rightly is that there exists this massive double standard. Because when I initially said, listen, just because you're heterosexual doesn't mean you get off being indicted. That's the point I was trying to make, is that that it is a universal playing field. In other words, we think, and the church has lied to you in the following respect, that salvation um, in Jesus means that Jesus is going to turn you into a heterosexual. Right. And I don't know that that's true. I don't, I don't, that's been the felt experience from some uh, uh, gay Christians that I know. From others, not even remotely. It's actually made it worse. And and they pray daily um, for God to come to their rescue, and He has not. And so they live with this massive, kind of unfulfilled desire for affection and for romance and flirting and the whole package. It's not just the orgasm or the sex part. It's the whole thing. And I, and then there's nothing in me that can understand what that is like. Because even in my celibacy, I've always had the possibility of blessed fulfillment, right? Sanctioned fulfillment. And so you're saying you, you don't get that possibility in the non-affirming view. And, and and not only that, but the non-affirming view, in the non-affirming view, there are these massive double standards where, yeah, if a divorced couple comes in, um, there's no outward display of that. And so... You know, no one's asking them about, well, were you inappropriately divorced? Although Jesus talked a lot about that. Right, right. I mean, I feel like if a guy walked in wearing a shirt that said, I'm a jerk, just ask my ex- my ex-wife. You know, they wouldn't be like, hey, pal, I don't, you know, I don't know if this, right. if this is really the right place for you. You know, right. you probably get a bunch of chuckles from a bunch of guys and they're being like, oh, yeah, I, right. know, I know what that's like. You know, I mean, like, I, yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah. So, I, so the divorce, to me, the divorce issue is the one that's, 
that, that's the crazy one, just because Jesus was so clear about it. And so when inappropriately divorced people use the verse that rules out their divorce as a way to crush gay people, it just, you know, uh, I mean, Jesus is up there and I think he's pissed. Yeah. Um, so I totally get, I totally get that on, on the one hand, there is a difference between how the church treats heterosexuals and homosexuals. Uh, I'm just saying that that difference should not exist uh, in the true Jesus community. Why? Uh, because because I'm a sexually broken man. And if I believe that you're a sexually broken man, now, if you believe, now, again, we're not getting into what does the Bible teach? Is it the affirming view or not affirming view? We're not getting into that. Mm-hmm. But as an affirming Christian, obviously, you don't believe um, that, uh, or I'm assuming you do not believe that the, the that homosexual practice is sinful, and obviously the non-affirming view would hold that it is. Right. So, so there there's a massive chasm there. I get that. But at the same time, I I, I want to say that the church has made room for all of these inappropriately divorced people. The church has made room for people who are engaging in in sex outside of marriage, premarital or extramarital. The church has made room, you know, for the porn addicts and and uh, the church has made room for all those people. And and so we just want to say, listen, there has to be a space where gay men like you who hold the affirming view can come and be not not shunned, um, but be embraced in, because of your identity in Jesus, which is primary, and share a community with non-affirming people. Um, the answer can't be, from the non-affirming side, it can't be the eradication of the affirming view and, and those who hold it, nor on the affirming side should the answer be the eradication of the non-affirming view, although I get why you would think it is. Mm-hmm. I think the better answer, and, and obviously you're going to disagree, and that's totally okay. I think the better answer is cre- the creation of a space where Christians who hold the f- affirming and non-affirming view can share together and learn from each other and serve and bless each other. Mm-hmm. Because um, because I what I see Jesus creating is the place that transcends all the binaries of culture. And, and so there, there, there will be some in the church who will hold uh, the non-affirming view. Does that mean then that we kick out all of those who hold the affirming view? Nope. Can't mean that. Mm-hmm. Can't mean that. It can't mean that. That's not a litmus test. Right. Um, it ha- we have to create a space where those groups can coexist. And that's the point. That's really the thing we're trying to drive at mm-hmm. is, Jeremy, I don't, I don't know what your experience is like, but let us fly you out here. And I don't even know where you live. And 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 let's show let's show you what we're trying to do, which is to create a space uh, because we have we have people who in our community who are radically affirming, and we have people who are radically non-affirming. And and so you're sitting there and you're like, well, what do we do with this now? What do we do with this? Do do we make it a litmus test either direction, mm. or do we try to learn how to love and serve um, each other and find ways to transcend those differences? Mm-hmm. Because would, would we say that the danger is if we're making that more important than who Jesus is, then that's that's the very thing that he would call into question? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So so if I'm looking at you and, and, and the order of my um, judgment of you is gay and then Christian, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm completely out of bounds. Yep. Um, it's first Christian, brother and sister, 
And, and then we get into all the well, male and then whatever ethnicity you are. And, 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 um, and I realize, you know, our non-affirming audience is howling at this point saying, well, you got to tell them they're wrong. You got to tell them they're wrong. You got to tell them they're wrong. And our affirming audience is saying, come on, guys, you, you can't, you can't hold this barbaric view in light of all that it, the damage it does. Mm-hmm. And we want to say, well, then the only answer that you're giving is that affirming people just hang out with affirming people and non-affirming people hang out with non-affirming people and we go nowhere. Right. And I just don't think that's been the answer at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that can be the answer for the future of, of the Jesus loving church. And so we want to step into the messiness of affirming and unaffirming views. And the interesting thing is I get hit and not that I matter, but I have people who are criticizing me for not being non-affirming enough or not being affirming enough. Yeah. And, and I'm okay just sitting there going, well, I think, I think there's, there's this muddy middle that a whole lot of us live in where empathy has to be practiced because, man, how does empathy get generated? Well, it gets generated by hearing your story. And, but if you weren't willing to share your story with non-affirming people, then, then empathy goes nowhere. So even according to your own thinking, the best thing for you to do is to be around non-affirming people, right? Who are loving and kind, who will hear the journey, uh, receive you, bless you, hear you, and so on. Make right. sense? Yeah. Loving your enemy would not be, um, oh yeah, well I love, uh, you know, oh well drug addicts, like I love them, that's fine, but I'm not really gonna ever spend time with them. Well, here's, like, why, why would I do that? Well, here's what he says. My mom told me this week that every feeling you have must feel Oh, excuse me. Every feeling you have, you must feel disgusted by and hate it the way God hates it and God burned Sodom for it. Now you say a horrible thing to say, but at least she's consistent. No, she's not flipping consistency. That's the thing. You think she's consistent because this is where the non-affirming view leads. I disagree with you entirely. There is absolutely no flipping way she's consistent. She's consistent in her hatred. She's consistent in her condemnation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, <laughs> uh, so we've got a, we've, uh, boy, this is a rabbit trail. Uh, so I won't even go there. Um, but she is not in any way, shape or form consistent in Christ. End of story. Yeah. End of story. Because if you hold the non-affirming view, my heterosexual marriage does not measure up to God's ideal either. Now, absolutely. That plays out differently. Um, than, um, than a gay marriage would. I get that. But I'm just saying morally, I don't see permission for me as a broken um, you know, sexual being to sit in the kind of condemnation your mom is showing to you as if your sexual brokenness were somehow more awful. There is nothing. So I don't see her being consistent even remotely. Mm-hmm. Not even remotely to the non-affirming view. I don't yeah. think she's consistent at all to the non-affirming view in the way that she's doing, in in the way she's doing it and in the view that she holds. Yeah. So so because the non-affirming view starts with we're all broken and then moves to we're all loved and then moves to we're all welcome. And then the messiness of what Jesus does with us once he gets us, well, we're going to work that out together. We're going to work it out together. So if you were around, I'd say, okay, let's, let's go to the table together this week. Let's take some bread. Let's take the cup together. And let's just see how this goes. You know, 10 years from now, who knows? Um, but, but you need to understand, Jeremy, um, we're, the, Jesus, the true Jesus community isn't going to define you first by your gayness or your uh, aff- affirming stance. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the true Jesus community is going to 
um, see you first as an image bearer worthy of unsurpassable love, and then secondly as a brother or sister in Christ. And then we get to from from that from that conversation, then we get to have these conversations. See, that's why your email was so beautiful. You're not condemning me. You're opening up conversation. And I love that. I'm just so proud of you. So he's got two more things to say and we're done. Great. Uh, the last two things I'll say are this. No, Jesus would probably not have been cool with same-sex relationships. Now, the fact, Jeremy, the fact that you even are, are, are willing to consider that possibility is, is massive. Because um, I, I kind of agree with you. I think consistent to his Jewishness, he would not have been cool with same-sex relationships. He would not have been cool with divorce. He would not have been cool with adultery. He would not have been cool with premarital sex. I mean, if you're going to take Jesus seriously in his Jewish context, he held a really high view that is condemning of, of all of us. Um, but then you say this, and this is interesting. But Jesus in his humanity was not all-knowing. He learned and evolved. I think Jesus. I think for Jesus, um, his perfection is not about his knowledge, but that if Jesus were faced with the question of slavery or the reality of LGBT people, that he would truly and fully put himself in their place, which would result in a change of his mind. So, so what I hear you saying is, listen, Jesus was all knowing in his humanity. And, but if so, if we were here today and saw the slavery that, that our African-American brothers and sisters had to undergo, and then the, the way that LGBTQ people have been treated, that Jesus, and I don't know that you would say it this way, but I'm trying to articulate it, that Jesus would have put himself in their shoes, would have seen where the, the non-affirming view leads, and therefore would have changed his mind about it. Now, that is an interesting point that is worthy of an, an entirely different podcast. So, so whether or not Jesus was all-knowing in his humanity is a really big theological question. Because there are sometimes Jesus will say things like, you know, uh, I don't know when the Son of Man is returning, only the Father knows. There are other times Jesus is able to read thoughts and predict the future. And so, man, that is a, that is a massively, massively huge point. But I've never heard... Because you, the the thing that you've been threading throughout your whole email is this idea of empathy, that if you were really empathetic, you could not hold the LG, uh, you could you could not hold the non-affirming view. Thus, uh, Jesus would not hold the non-affirming view because he's empathetic. That's what I hear you saying. And then you say uh, the second thing uh, is even though I disagree with you, and I hope and pray that your side of this will utterly and completely fail just as much as the pro-slavery stream of Christianity has utterly failed, I think God calls us all to wrestle with these things and doesn't always give us an easy answer because he wants us to learn to love to one another and learn to love one another in disagreement. God bless. Oh, talk about ending on a freaking high note. Mm -hmm. Jeremy, that's that's it, man. Yeah, that's the you, point. You just made it. <laughs> that's the point. Beautifully. We, you could have saved us all half an hour or however long <laughs> this is. No. Buddy, uh, listen, I cannot in any way, shape, or form um, uh, put myself in your shoes. I don't know what it's been like to walk where you've walked. I am grateful that you, at least in this last paragraph, are open to the idea that non-affirming people can love you, can respect you, can serve and bless you, um, and that we can live together uh, from two different sides of this. That to me, man, that that's the point. And you so beautifully, beautifully write that. I'm so grateful. 
And and because on both sides of the issue, right, we we've got to we've got to move from um, we've got to move from the space that demonizes the other, uh, that uh, dehumanizes the other. And the only way to do that is by this empathy that you're talking of, hearing our stories, sharing our stories, sitting in intention. And it is totally messy, man. So, so Jeremy, well done. Um, I could be wrong on, on, on so many of these things, but I'm grateful that you gave us permission in a unfair environment to you <laughs> to, to use this as a way to, to explore some of these, some of these, um, topics. So, um, and when I emailed him and I said, hey, we're going to be recording on this, he's like, great, great, can't wait to listen. So if that's still true at the end, um, I'll, be, <laughs> I'll be very thrilled. So, so, um, so let me say this to Jeremy and to all of those. We have, we have a lot of listeners who um, are either affirming um, because, uh, not because, they're affirming and practicing um, LGBTQ folks or they're heterosexual and they're affirming and they're affirming, one of the reasons they're affirming is precisely because um, the, the non-affirming tropes have, have treated that community so badly. So let me just say thank you for listening and thank you for entering into the, to the muck with us. Um, I, don't, I try to be really cagey with what my particular view is, uh, only because I think it's impossible to create space for uh, affirming and non-affirming folks if I'm consistently beating one side of that or not. The, the part that I'm willing to beat up always um, in me and in everybody else is the, uh, what, it, what, what the um, non-affirming view can do to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and we just are so utterly opposed uh, to that. So uh, all that is to say, Jeremy and many others, thank you for, for walking in the, the interesting tensions of our day. There are so many things that um, the Bible doesn't specifically address. And as we try to walk these and work these things out as Jesus people, it's really hard to do. And it's really hard to do it in ways that don't hurt others. And so um, just so you know, man, we are um, we're grateful for the opportunity to speak to you, but to, to many um, who are sitting in all these tensions. So back to kind of the, the standard close. Andy, you have anything you want to add? I have I have many thoughts. I, I think well, you know, I think I think we'll end it on that. I mean, it, it the, the the summary thought that comes to mind is that when when any there's there's two thoughts. Affirming and non-affirming seems to hold itself in objective belief and stance, and it seems that when if those if those objective stances became an emotional outworking that superseded identity in Christ, that's the very thing that Christ would call into question. Like yes. it's, it's like when, yes. when those objective views become more important than what Christ actually calls us to, yes. then there's something compromising so my, about the view, no matter right. what side it's on. Exactly. You're right. So if I'm holding the non-affirming view in a way that causes me to say the things that have been said to Jeremy, uh, then, then Jesus would come smacking us around no matter how right we think we are. Right. And on the other side, um, if, if this conversation becomes the most defining part and supersedes identity in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus would come and invite us to put that conversation down. That's right. Um, and, and, and I think that's, I mean, that's the, that's the thing that, that no one escapes an encounter with Jesus without first being surprised by how radically we're loved and, 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 and shown grace. And then in that grace, 
being called to lay down anything that gets in the way of followership. Right. That is so clear in what Jesus does. Yeah. Um, and so we call it grace before truth, that Jesus Jesus envelops us in, in a scandalous love. And then in that love, as, as it confronts our our nakedness, and I don't mean that in any sexual way, I mean that in our, um, uh, in our um, unfiltered, unpretensed self, um, we, we realize that he invites us into far deeper, uh, far deeper water than mm-hmm. where we've been willing to swim before. Yeah. So, um, so all that is to say, Jeremy, we're, we're super excited to hear what you think. Uh, maybe we'll send you the file first. I don't know. Maybe sure. we'll do that. Okay. Um, uh, and you'll get, you get first crack at it and, uh, <laughs> but don't, don't, don't hate on us too bad or then we'll be scared to release it. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. We're going to do it anyway. We are going to do it anyway. <laughs> yes. Yes. But all that is to say, thank you. Um, and, and just on behalf of Andy and myself, we're super grateful for the privilege we have of, of being a part of your life. Uh, whether it's in the car, working out, or or, um, or or doing whatever, we're so grateful. And uh, we're grateful you put up with us and, and disagree with us. And man, the goal isn't to think like we do. The goal is to, if you're a Jesus follower, to wrestle with him and to walk uh, faithfully with him. And so to the degree that helps, that's our prayer, is that, is that our meager efforts uh, would help the cause in, in one direction or another. So, um, if you're uh, if you're apt to uh, to leave reviews, man, iTunes is super important um, in uh, getting traction for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on Twitter and Facebook, and then SubversiveKingdom.com, which Andy's someday going to dismantle um, and put a b- better profile pic of yours truly up there. Although <laughs> the best angle for me is the dark in the dark. Hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you, to all of us, and to give us peace in these days. Amen. See you till, uh, I was going to say, see you till next time. <laughs> see you next time slash until next time or see you till next time. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Geary podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Geary. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope, at Mike Erie, for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.